Kreusor, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. Persecution, you must fear. Win and lose, you've got to get your share. Got your mind set on a dream. You can get it, the heart is missing now. Recovery Now Radio, coming to you from the living room and our buried. My name is Joe and our guest today is Phil. Welcome, Phil. Hi, Joe. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, I'm enjoying the weather. Yeah, so it's, it's been outside. a good week, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, let's get straight into your first song, if that's okay with you. And that is the Super Fury Animals with Ice Hockey Hair. Why did you choose that one? They were one of the first bands I really kind of like in adult life, I suppose. I was about 22, I think, when they came out. I don't know, they were a bit different at the time. Uh, they've always kind of reinvented themselves. A bit quirky, a bit different. They're not kind of mainstream. Um, yeah. They mix in a bit of Welsh language as well, which uh, I quite liked. Um, I don't know, they were just quite funky. They were really good live to watch as well. Brilliant. Uh, always enjoyed their concerts. Yeah, good.
And that was the Super Furry Animals with Ice Hockey Hair. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. So, Phil, can you tell us about your first experiences with alcohol? I was probably um, around about 14 years old, 14, 15. I used to watch a lot of football. Um, I've always been a a Merthyr fan. um, And groups of us used to watch them. I started going away and I just have a few few points of cider, you know, that would be enough. Yeah. And then it just kind of developed from there, really. That was quite sort of, you know, occasional ad hoc, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be a, a regular thing. It was only when I got to kind of about 17 that I started drinking every week. I mean, you got, I'd go to house parties when I was in school and stuff, and we'd have, we'd have a few drinks, but that, again, that was never, never a regular occurrence. I started going on a Friday night, then there was football on a Saturday, Basically, Joe, it was, you know, if there was money in your pocket, you'd be out, you know. I started work, so I um, kind of had a bit more money. Uh, I always remember um, somebody saying to me when I started work, don't go to the pub lunchtime. And literally the first day I was in work, one of the lads came and said, do you fancy a Swifty? Uh, I said, yeah, straight across the road. And it wasn't long, it was a couple of years, but it wasn't long, we, you know, we, we would go to the pub quite often, we'd have a game of pool, but it wasn't long before drinking became a daily thing for me. And, you know, not not since then, you know, I, you know, I went through periods where I wasn't drinking so much, but going to the pub lunchtime and the environment I worked was very much a daily thing for not just me, mainly, you know, I, I, I would do it more than anybody else, but for everyone really it was just the environment. So that's really how things sort of kicked off for me sure so would you say it was manageable at that time yeah yeah very much so well I say manageable like I once I started it was difficult for me to stop the last few years when I've been reflecting back I kind of find everything is falling into place looking back I think the first time now I realized I had a problem I was about 18 might have been younger might have been 17 and my mother and my stepdad had gone on a holiday and so I, I was at home on my own really and I went out with my brother the night before and I stayed out and I, I was probably still quite drunk when I when he dropped me off in the morning and mm. I walked around the house um, looking for more alcohol and this was like nine ten o'clock in the morning yeah and I, I think the, the best I could find was a couple of cans of Hoffmeister but mm-hmm. looking back I mean that that is a clear sign now, you know, knowing what I know now of no control over it. And it's probably just as well. I couldn't, I probably didn't have any money and I couldn't, couldn't find any more because if, if the house is full, I probably would have cleared a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's the first recollection I kind of have where, you know, looking back, if I, if I know, knew then what I know now, that was the time to stop really. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to your next song before we discuss that a bit further. And that's okay. St. Etienne, is it? St. Etienne? St. Etienne, yeah. He's on the phone. Why did you choose that one? It's probably a song I associate with fun times, I would yeah. I would guess, Joe. Yeah. I've seen him play once. He actually played in my hometown in Merthyr. Um, there wasn't many of us there, but uh, they did play. And yeah, just, just nice, nice little tune, nice relaxing tune.
and she wants to go home. Shoes in hand to make a sound. It's time to go. That was Saint Etienne with He's on the Phone. This is Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. So, Phil, we were talking about your first experiences with drinking earlier on. Can you tell us a little bit about what the circumstances of your childhood were? How was growing up for you? Yeah, it was quite you know, enjoyable, you know, and quite happy memories, you know, usual sort of stuff. I had good friends, lived in a nice place. To be honest, at the time, as long as I had a football, football to watch and football to play, I was quite happy, you know. Uh, my parents divorced when I was quite young, which is, was, you know, difficult. But um, yeah, after that, it was fine. Yeah, it was, um, school was fine. I did find um switch from junior school to comprehensive, tough, really tough, mm-hmm. for a year or so. But I went to a quite a nice junior school. It was quite cushy, you know. I was captain of the football team, captain of the cricket team. You know, there was plenty of girls in the class, nice girls. And then I ended up in comprehensive. I couldn't get anywhere near the football team, anywhere near any team. And none of the girls wanted to know. So it was, yeah. uh, and yeah, you know, that that time as well, growing up as well in the Merthyr Valley, you know, I went to comprehensive. It was smack bang in the middle of the 84 minus strike. You know, mm. the times were quite hard for a lot of families. You know, a lot yeah. of people ten- tensions were high, so yeah, it's uh, you know the the, the first twelve months. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I, you look back on school days; it was kind of fond memories. But you know, my early years there, uh, they weren't for the faint-hearted. Mm. It, uh, you know, when you're leaving primary school, you go from being the big fish in the little pond to being the little fish in the big pond when you move up to secondary school. Did it yeah, feel like right. that for you? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I say I really enjoyed the junior school. I was playing football. I was a centre forward. I was scoring goals for fun. Life was easy, you know. Football was such a big part of me when I was young. To not even get near the football team when I got into the comprehensive was was heartbreaking, you know. Yeah. I'm so, sure. uh, yeah, I did find the, the switch quite quite tough, but yeah, I settled into it reasonably reasonably quickly then afterwards. And uh, yeah, so childhood was fine for me. Good. Well, fast forward now, because I have read your bio that you sent to us, and fast forward to 2013 or 2014, is that when your daily drinking began? Yeah, I would say so. Saying that, I've been I've been drinking in the daytime, work, lunch times, and the, the environment I worked in. I've worked in a bank all my life. The culture was very much drinking. I was always out. Um, I've worked in a property lending team in a bank during the property boom and we, we spent afternoons most afternoons when we weren't busy just in the pub so you know that that I suppose because you you, you kind of dress it up as work and you're not really working but it's it, it's in the context of it's legitimate then isn't it because it's to do with yeah. work 
but yeah, 2013, I would say 2014 was when I started working from home and I maybe started drinking earlier in the day, in the day. and it started yeah. sort of four, three, two, mm. and then again, it just descended very, very quickly into all day then, you know. That was around the time then, Joe, I would say, where I kind of moved from a highly, highly functioning alcoholic to non-functioning and the, the, the sort of deterioration was really rapid, really rapid at that, that what point. Effect, yeah. What effect did, did it have on you? Um, I had quite, quite a lot going on at the time as well. Things were quite tough, you know. Um, my mother had been diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's and stuff. Work, I was very, very busy with work. Um, I think looking back, once they found out the problems I was having um, personally with drink, I think they panicked a little bit because they put me under an awful lot of pressure work-wise. I, I was dealing with vulnerable customers. But yeah, I, I, as things got tougher, my way of dealing with it was just to drink more, you know? Yeah. Um, and that period between uh, sort of 2013, um, it was like a four or five year period, you know, it was, it, it was awful really looking back. Yeah, mm, dreadful, can, dreadful time. I can imagine. Okay, Phil, so let's listen to your next song, which is Dead Kennedys with Kill the Poor. What inspires think, you about this song then? I think Dead Kennedys are probably my favourite punk band. When I was in comprehensive school, a lot of my friends um, came from the same village, Arbavan. And they all had older brothers. I had, my brother was he's five years, five, six years older than me. So they kind of, um, they were uh, around when the, the punk was in his heyday, really. My, my sort of generation, I'm 48 now. I kind of missed it, really. So uh, older brothers, you know, we pick up the music. So um, we all kind of uh, just, you know, listened to sex buses a lot, that type of thing. Um, the, the village, you know, we, was, we had kind of, People were walking around with weekends in the, in the 1980s, you know, where everybody else was long past it doing other things. Yeah, punk is, you know, it's, it's energetic, it's vibrant, it's good fun, you know, it's, you know, so it just got swept away with it, really. Let's listen to the Dead Kennedys then.
that was the Dead Kennedys with Kill the Poor. Definitely a political message there. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. So, Phil, we were talking about your drinking becoming a daily thing back in 2014. And when we chatted earlier, we talked about you getting or separating when you were in 2015 from your wife and your mother being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Can you tell us a little bit more about that period in your life? You know, I think everybody has difficult things happen to them throughout their lives. The problem for me was I had my drinking, you know, um, Alzheimer's, um, my marriage, all come together at the same time. If I wasn't drinking, there's no doubt about it, I would have dealt with it a lot better. You know, I can't blame anything. You know, my, my drinking had been out of control for a long, long time. Even, you know, even before this period, I'm still flabbergasted how much I was drinking and how, how I was holding down what was a good job with a lot of responsibility. You know, you, you can't continue like that. The impact it has on you, you, you mentally and physically. Um, uh, and again, I, I couldn't see a way out. Um, I, you know, I knew exactly where I was. I knew the position I was in. I knew I was at a, you know, a fork in the road and there was two ways to go. But I, you know, I just couldn't seem to do anything about it but it was, it was around that time that I started to seek help but I don't think I really had any idea of how difficult it was going to be or um, any real intention of, of, of stopping you know I was just kicking the can down the road constantly yeah but yeah it was you know it was a you know, really hard time as well you know it was yeah it always kind of perplexes me when you see uh, your people um, a lot of famous people they kind of you know on chat shows and stuff they kind of kind of romanticize alcoholism you know anyone who's who's been through it or any kind of addiction they you know there's nothing romantic about it at all it's a, it's a hard miserable existence really yeah. uh, you, you get to the point where you're, you're no longer drinking to be happy you're just drinking not to be sad yeah, uh, you know, I'd reached that point by, by then, yeah. So, yeah, really, 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 really difficult time. So it's safe to say that around that time is when the alcohol was really in charge of you, is that right? Yeah, I would say. I was literally, you know, going through all the, all the difficult bits about alcohol, you know, worried about where my next drink was coming from. When I wasn't drinking, it was just on my mind where the next, you know, how I was going to get it. I don't think my personal circumstances helped me in, I worked from home. I was pretty much my own boss, completely autonomous. So I didn't have any kind of checks in place. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have to go into a working environment every day where I couldn't drink or there was people there. I could, I could, I just had a free reign. There was, you know, I had to go and see customers and, and go to team meetings and stuff, but they were few and far between. So I was kind of just allowed to uh, to just do what I wanted, really. Um, yeah. Uh, that's not to say I don't think I would have, you know, things would have ended up as they did. Otherwise, it perhaps would have just taken a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, moving on to your next piece of music, which is Oasis with Acquiescence. Why did you choose this one? Um, I think that Oasis were probably the, the kind of second band I really, the first album blew me away. Um, definitely maybe I couldn't stop listening to it as soon as I, I got it a lot of the stuff they done later um, I wasn't too keen on but certainly the, um, uh, the that first album I liked a lot of the B-sides and I like Noel Gallagher singing probably more than yeah. Liam Gallagher 
but yeah, great song, fast, you know, loud. Let's have a listen.
And that was Oasis with Acquiesce. You're still listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And we're still talking to Phil today. So, Phil, could you describe to us some of the consequences of your drinking? I inevitably lost my job. Um, I was I was fortunate, really. I was made redundant, but it, you know, there's no two ways about it. They would have got rid of me otherwise, you know, and understandably so. I think my I had a very understanding boss. That organisation I worked for were really, really supportive. They were great, really good. So I mean, that that you know that that was a hell of a blow for me, just not having a good job, well-paid job. I, I don't it, drink wasn't the reason for my divorce. There were a lot of other reasons for that. So in, in fact, that's kind of the only kind of thing. I'm grateful to alcohol for because it probably just gave me the courage to just kind of get me through it, if, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, I was unhappy a long time before that, you know. But yeah, it cost me that. It's cost me relationships. It's cost me relationships probably with some friends, some people I've fallen out with people just for no reason, really. Um, I've yeah. tried to repair some of those relationships, but it hasn't always worked, you know. Um, I suppose it's the same for, for everybody, really. You go around behaving like a, a complete fool, you know, for a long time. Um, I, can, I, I just, you know, I, I, when I'm walking walking about now, you know, I can spot the people who really can't really be bothered with me. And that's fine, you know, that's, that's fine. But yeah, you know, it cost me my livelihood. You know, things are starting to change, change around here, but um, my relationship with my children as well would have been affected by it, you know. No, no doubt. Yeah. I can't remember all the stuff that went on. Can you tell us a little bit about when when you were detoxing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I went into Slandock for a week in November 2016. And I, I guess that like a lot of people, when you when you go in there, you, you sort of come out the other end and you just think everything's going to be fine. You're kind of cured. But you know, it, it, it's, it's hard, it's, it's, it's an awful experience, it's an awful kind of week or five, well, the first few days are the worst, but um, I, I came out, but I was, I hadn't learned anything, I hadn't really understood what was happening, what, what was going on mentally, uh, any of that hadn't occurred to me. Um, I came out, yeah, in the November I went in, by the March, the following year, I was back, I'd relapsed, I was, I was back drinking. And then I stopped because I got caught drink driving. And I think it was the shock of that. I was ridiculously over the limit. I was about at the roadside. I was about six and a half times over the limit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought I was fine. You know, I, I felt fine. But the shock of that literally stopped me drinking. I didn't even have to need, need it. I was out, ironically, I was going back into detox. They put me back in, but I didn't need it then because I just stopped. I got some days apart off. The doctor in the uh, uh, in the police station. I spent the night in a cell, and uh, that got me off. Then I relapsed again. Not long afterwards, I couldn't get out of the cycle of sort of six, seven months. I just kept on relapsing. Uh, I, I I was keen not to do that, but I just I just did. It was only when I, I was. I was a little bit disappointed with the doctor I was seeing. The, I, I found the support people really good and the nurses in um, my community drug and alcohol team. But one doctor I seen, I didn't think he was particularly useful. And it was only when I seen um, 
Dr. Roberts, Gwyn Roberts there. I spent an hour and a half with him one day and he was just brilliant. Yeah. He recommended the living room to me. I honestly came out and I phoned my brother and I, I, I said, I, I can't believe how motivated I feel. I just feel the stuff he said just makes so much sense. He's given me so many different things, ideas, so many things to go away and think about. So I went, um, I phoned the living room, I booked in, came down, I had a session with Nick. And that's really where I see my recovery started. Yeah. Um, that's when, and don't get me wrong, I relapsed two or three times since that, but every relapse was a learning. I, I learned a lot as well. They were expensive yeah. mistakes, but they were also valuable lessons. And it's kind of got me to where I am now, really. Um, just speaking to um, people's experiences there, the counselling is great. Um, just understanding more about it, really. Wider reading to the point where 2020, I relapsed towards the end of 2019. And I could kind of, I could find, kind of feel my body rejecting alcohol. It was a big difference between my last relapse. Normally I was, I would, I drink whatever I was drinking. I was just cost constantly drinking really. And I would just be okay. You know, I could walk about, I was, I could just get on with things. But the last relapse I noticed, I was, falling everywhere I broke my ribs I cut some over me I cut to my head I know I had concussion I'd be walking when I'd be walking I was just I, I literally couldn't walk in a straight line some point I could realise my body was starting to reject the alcohol so um, I, I don't think I, could, I can afford another relapsed I don't think I've got yeah. another one in me I, yeah. I just don't think I have um, so yeah that's that, that's you know kind of my Path to recovery really has taken me well, three years from when I, when I came out of Flandot to my last relapse. Yeah. So okay. To my last relapse, I've been sober now for 15 months. Congratulations, so, um, well done. Uh, thanks. It, but I, to be honest, Joe, I, I feel like a completely different person. I just, mm. I really worked hard in 2020. I thought that's my first, that's got to be my first sober year. I can't fall into this trap again so I just dedicated 2020 completely obviously COVID come along which probably made things slightly easier for me I couldn't go to the living room but it kind of made other things easier and I literally feel like a different person I mean I feel in great shape mentally and physically um, it's just a combination of doing everything Nick told me once follow the winners you know do the things the winners do so I don't go in pubs I don't go in restaurants and it doesn't bother me. Doesn't um, I don't miss going to the football with drinking friends. Doesn't bother me because there are loads of other people out there who are just as much fun, just as interesting. Um, of course, yeah. Dif and, different and you ways know of what the consequences things. are, don't you? You know, you've yeah, been there. Absolutely. I, 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 a friend of mine is coming up to two years. Going back to the, the, the first people I started drinking with when I was seventeen on a Friday night, there were six of us. One of the lads I'm so quite good friends with now, he, he's never drunk much. He just goes out occasionally, you know, and has a few and he's fine. One lad never drunk at all, but the other four of us, definitely four, maybe three, I'm not too sure about the one, have all had big problems with alcohol, big problems. One of them, one of us, or one of them rather, basically drank himself to death coming up to two years ago. That was a real eye-opener for me. Really, really shocked me. Um, I hadn't yeah. really seen him for 25 years. I bothered with him, but he was a real great guy, you know. He was a barrister. 
I just I'm completely blown away with it. But I think no, I've seen that and seen experience of other people. Uh, that's why I don't think I've got another relapse in me. I think no. I don't think I'd survive it. But uh, well, moving on to your next song, because you've given us yeah. quite a bit of information there, Phil. Thank you for that. Moving on to your next song, which is Stiff Little Fingers and Suspect Device. Why did you choose this one? Oh, it's the punk thing again, Joe. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just love, the, love the music, love the style of music. Um, Stiff Little Fingers one of the, one of my favourites as well. Um, yeah. I don't know, just great, great tunes, catchy music, you know, good lyrics, catchy lyrics. Um, I've always quite liked, um, you know, good songwriters. So yes, punk is quite basic music, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not a musician, but I don't think you have to be a genius to play some of it. It's, but yeah, it's just fast and loud. And at the time when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18, fast and loud was was great. Yeah, let's have a listen. was Stiff Little Fingers with Suspect Device. Welcome back to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. We're still with Phil. So Phil, we talked quite a bit just now about your journey with alcoholism and you and you mentioned some relapses to us. Could you tell us what you learned from those relapses? 
Yeah, my first relapse is I, I watch, say a lot, watch a lot of football. I follow the Wales national team home and away, and my first two relapses were directly as a result of of that. Um, first one, I took my son up to Dublin, over to Dublin. Um, fine, sober all weekend. Drove on the way back. I decided once I dropped him off, I was going to start drinking, and I think it was just seeing my friends enjoying themselves, remembering, you know, seeing people I hadn't seen for a long time, enjoying times. Same happened the last relapse was 2019. I went to Slovakia and it kind of taught me then that, you know, if I'm going to continue watching football, I need to do it in a different way. I can't put myself, you know, the Slovakia trip, Nick Nick was telling me in one of the, one of the living room sessions when I came back and I'd relapsed. He said to me, at what point did you think getting on a minibus with 10 or 12 other people Drinking all the way was a good idea, and it's, it's it's quite a you know it's quite hard to accept when you know there's things you you know everybody's got to do it who's who's in, in, in addicts. It's quite hard being told you can't do it, but he told me that I couldn't do it anymore. So I, I say I, I've stopped going to pubs, stopped going to restaurants. I avoid looking at alcohol. Don't go in the um, drink aisle at Tesco. And I said earlier, Joe just. To, you know, there are other things to do out there. There are different people about, uh, yeah. you know, far more things. Life doesn't revolve around alcohol. It can't for me now, but it doesn't anyway. You know, yeah. there are lots of fun things to do. And it taught me as well to start understanding what was going on for me, you know, or why I was drinking, looking at stuff like that, you know, what was causing it. Just self-reflection, really. But Did yeah, you ever... very valuable, valuable lessons every single time. As long as you learn from them, yeah, I suppose you know it's part of the process. Yeah. Did you ever, when you when you were relapsing, sometimes was it after a period of sobriety, and you would kind of say to yourself, "Well, I deserve this," or "I've worked hard." Was that thought in your head at all? Yeah, probably. I would say, Joe. Yeah, I don't know for some reason, despite everything telling you otherwise, you used. Well, I still thought that I could have some kind of control. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'll just have three or four days on it now and then I'll stop. And, you know, I knew deep down that, you know, as soon as I had one drink, it was four or five months of, you know, misery and, you know, carnage, really. But, yeah, that, that, was, that was definitely definitely a part of that in Joe, yeah. Cravings were a big problem for me as well, initially, just after I came out of Landau. I was at the football match with my friend and this was like January time. And I, I was having cravings all day, every day. And I just, it was really hard. And I, I thought, I, did, I thought, like I said earlier, I, you know, I, I came out, I'd be a completely new person. I didn't think I'd have to deal with all these. So learning to deal with them as well after relapses, and, you know, not putting yourself up an alcohol anywhere near you is one one way of doing it. But just changing your mindset and everything, really learning to cope yeah. with them, just coping mechanisms, you know, relaxing, a bit of mindfulness, just changing your outlook on life, really, changing your lifestyle. Things like and that. Perhaps to and perhaps um changing your circle of friends in some cases. Yeah. Um the, the first guy I ever spoke to, there's a place in Merthyr called was called Drug Aid. A guy I sat with, he was brilliant. And the first conversation he had was you've got you're in for a nightmare, it's gonna be horrific, it's gonna to be tough, you've got to change your life, change your friends, change everything. And that's a really, really hard message for somebody to receive. I was just looking at him thinking, well, that's not gonna happen, mate. You know, I'm not yeah. going to do any of that. 
you know, I'm quite happy with the friends. They go, uh, they're great, you know. And then five years later or six years later, and I'm sitting here thinking, I've done all the things he, he told me and life could have been so much easier yeah. if I listened to him, you know, but that's <laughs> just, it's just the way it is, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I do things with my old friends. Some of them I'd like to do other stuff with, you know, non-drinking stuff, but it's not always easy. But yeah, you, you meet new people. Um, yeah. For years, I've watched Merthyr Town play football. I used to sit at the back of the bus with all of them drinking and just, I don't know, in, indulging in horseplay, really. That's the be, <laughs> best description and just messing about. <laughs> and then I started going away. I would sit at the front of the bus and I was thinking, oh, I was really surprised how interesting the people are down here, you know. I never knew yeah. they existed. <laughs> they are really good fun as well. But uh, yeah, it's just, I suppose you just got to, find out what works for you and, and do that really yeah so let's have some more music now and we've got the stone roses next with fool's gold what do you like about this song um yeah i thought stone roses is one of those bands where you know they had the manchester scene at the time they were they were big in it i don't know stone roses were just a cool band i thought really cool band i just love the clothes their attitude their swagger Everything really good songwriter as well. Not the best singer, Ian Brown, but great songwriter. So yeah.
And that was The Stone Roses with Fool's Gold. This is Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And we're still talking to Phil. So, Phil, can you tell us what happened when you began to get well? Probably 2020 was the year I really, things really started to get better. You know, through everything started to come back. I noticed, you know, my brain was starting to clear. Um, my head was starting to feel better. I was feeling more confident. I was, all the lessons I learned from my relapses, I, I, they, they kind of give me a bit more strength, a bit more understanding of, of, the, of the problem. Um, and that gave me the confidence then to, to, to sort of carry on with it, learning from people as well in the living room. That, that was massive for me, absolutely massive. Yeah, and then as, as things got on, then I was doing a lot of walking, COVID kicked in and, I, you know, I was getting out and about a lot in the daytimes. I'm quite lucky. I've got a quite a small sort of circle of friends who have been very, very good to me. So I was able to get up with them, really. Um, you know, I, I was doing different stuff away from alcohol with them as well. Doing a lot of reading as well, Joe. I picked yeah. up a lot of books about sort of people who've been through problems in the past as well, trying to just pick up any snippet of information from someone who I thought could perhaps help me. Uh, and then, you know, like I was noticing... Silly things, not silly things, but my eyesight was coming back. So I noticed my eyesight had gone bad and I was drinking. And my, my sort of faculties were coming back and I was, I started learning to speak Welsh. Uh, I was starting to take an interest in a lot more things, uh, reading more. Uh, I got physically fit, I lost a bit of weight, that type of thing. And I, funny enough, um, I, I was speaking about this with a friend the other day. We, we were saying about you go through all the process of, of learning and recovery and, and that type of thing. But I think it was just a passage of time as well. You know, yeah. I think just things gradually got better by themselves. And I, I'm over the moon with the way I feel now. You know, if somebody said to me 12 months ago, you're going to feel as, as, as positive and comfortable and a peace of mind, I would have snapped their hands off. Um, I just I just hope it kind of continues, really. Yeah. Would you say that you had some serenity in your life now then? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Far more. When things began to get better for you then, you talked about the things that you, you well, you still do, I guess, reading, meeting up with different friends and having diff- doing different activities to what you were doing when you were drinking. What does the future look like for you? I'm determined to, whatever I do, I'm determined that it's going to be something I enjoy. I'm not going to do something that um, just makes me miserable. I haven't really worked since I was made redundant. I've had a couple of jobs, but they didn't go particularly well. I don't really want to go back into what I was doing previously, unless it's the right job. And it has to be, really does have to be the right job. I got an option of university um, to study mental health nursing, but I've got a couple of hooks to jump through still for that. Yeah. That would be my preference. It's not ideal. Um, I mean, I'm, I've spent three years without earning any money. Yeah. That would mean I'd have to spend another three. But I don't see myself as one of these people who retires at 60 or 62. And, you know, these days I, mm-hmm. I'm i quite, you know, a firm believer now in just doing something as long as you can. You know, I, I don't want my circumstances to be in the future, but me knocking about in a house on my own is dangerous for me. It's yes, probably best if I, so that's why I like to do the nursing because I like to do something new, something I'm interested in, something I can try and progress um, rather than doing something I don't enjoy, which I'll get fed up yeah. with fairly quickly. So that's an option. But, you know, 
there are options now where 12 months ago or 24 months ago, there, there, there were no options really. I've got my like, driving license back, and it back last week. So, yeah, to be honest, I'm quite happy walking about and catching public transport, but it's just another thing off the tick list, you know, Joe. It doesn't yeah. stop me not applying for jobs now because I can't drive or doing things because I can't drive. It's just another step in the right direction. And it's, you know, as long as you do the right things, it, everything else kind of falls in place really in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, your next song is The Sex Pistols with Pretty Vacant. What do you think about uh, this song then? As I was saying earlier, the, uh, the Never Mind the, Am I Allowed to Swear? I'll say Never Mind the Buzzcocks album. Uh, <laughs> the, the first, their first album was one of those ones where I couldn't stop listening to it. I think it's probably an all time classic for everyone, isn't it? I was probably in the feet uh, back at the time. I wasn't really interested in lyrics and stuff like that. I was just interested in noise, jumping about, uh, <laughs> and having fun. I think it's just a just a great song. They were great band, great song.
That was The Sex Pistols with Pretty Vacant. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. Um, Phil, what do you think you've learned about yourself throughout the whole recovery process? One of the one of the reasons I started drinking was because I, it gave me confidence. Um, the confidence I was lacking, I was always quite anxious. And that kind of got rid of all of that kind of thing. Um, and what I found is since now I've stopped drinking at the other end, I just seem to like I've gone back to the back to the same person I was like 28, 30 years ago. Um, I, funny, I do exactly the same things now as I used to do then uh, and enjoy them. But the one thing I've this really sort of stands up to me is what I've noticed since I've been sober, I've started doing some college stuff. Um, I'm doing really well in it. I'm getting decent grades. You know, things yeah. are progressing, and I just I, I kind of regret my drinking years because I I haven't done all the things I should have done. You know, I just because when you drink, when I was drinking, it was just that was it. That was all. The only thing that was important, and you know, I missed out on so much. You know, things I should have done, perhaps achieved. You know, that type of thing. So yeah, it's you, a bit of a regret. You wouldn't have, um... Perhaps you wouldn't have done those things, though, had you not gone through that whole process. You might still be working in banking, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you never know. It's just that I don't think I give myself. I didn't give what I was doing my all um, mm. just because I was more interested in other things, you know, just you know, when the next night out, you know, the next, next session was going to be. But, yeah, it could well be the case. Yeah, I have no doubt that... Um, you know, this the stuff you it's definitely changed me as a person without a shadow of a doubt. Um, just the way I look at things, you know, the, the things that are really important. Of, um, I, I, you know, I just strive to live quite a simple life, really. You know, I, I realize that, um, I've always been quite anti capitalist, but I realize that material things literally do not make you happy and a load of rubbish and a waste of time. So, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, you know, there's so much, so much different, so many different things that recovery has taught me. Really, you know, it's difficult yeah. to know where to start. What would, um, like, the sober you now say to the younger you if you got to meet each other? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, what people say to me now is, all all you've got to do all day is avoid the first drink. Um, yeah. Do you know, it's easy to say, I would, you know, I wish I'd never drunk. Funny, my, my, my mother used to say to me, don't have a tattoo, don't take drugs, um, what else, don't gamble. I've never done any of them things, but nobody ever, ever said to me, don't drink, you know. Mm. But when you, when you grow up in that drinking culture, it just becomes a norm. And, you know, I, we just did, you know. That, and it's just that. It was important, you know. It would be foolish to say I wish I never drank because it was, you know, you 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 can't you couldn't have gone back to that time, and and or you'd be hard pressed not to be able to drink, you know, because it was yeah, just it's so normalised, isn't it? Thing. It was the only thing which was considered fun and, and yeah. enjoyable. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, would be lovely to go back, but it's just not going to happen. I think well, just just but... being happy happy with who you are is is the important thing, really, isn't it? You know, yeah, that's... Phil, I think you're fantastic, mate. And it's been a pleasure to interview you today. It really has. So 
I know you've been through some dark times, but the person you are now shines through and I can see that. So I'd like to thank you for coming on and talking to us today. I'd like to thank the listeners for tuning in. And when you do listen to this episode, can you like, comment and share? Because we really do need your help to make this message of hope reach people across the world. Thank you so much, Phil, again, for coming in to talk to us. And I'd like to thank The Living Room and Adveriad for supporting us through this venture. And your last song is The Manic Street Preachers with Why So Sad. Tell us just a little bit about this before we play it. The Manics weren't one of those bands like, you know, like I was saying earlier, but like Oasis and the Sex Pistols that jumped out at me. I, I found out I listened to them quite a lot before I, I liked them. I went to see them a couple of times in Cardiff and I, I probably got to the age where I, I realised, you know, that songs had lyrics and it wasn't just something to jump about. I was probably old, too old to be jumping around at the front. And I started listening to their music a lot more, like the lyrics, very political. I, I, I don't think this uh, White Society is my favourite one, but I thought I'd something different in a bit of variety um i always find in, in recovery as well a bit of bit of variety is uh, helps you along the spice of life absolutely So